So we are still in first chapter of John this morning, where we're normally in when I'm speaking, I guess. We're looking specifically at verses 43 through 47. So in this portion of John 1, he continues to narrate for us the events leading to some of John the Baptist's disciples coming to Jesus. And then we see them witnessing to their family members or friends, acquaintances. So let's just read the text and then we'll pray. Starting in verse 43. says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, Come and see. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. As far as, far as I'll read, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for another Sunday morning, another Lord's Day to gather in this freedom we have and to worship you, to bring glory to you, to our Savior and Lord. Open our hearts this morning, Lord, to your word. And I just pray that you would give me clarity of mind and calmness of spirit, Lord, to to explain your word this morning and open our hearts to hear what you have for us in your holy scriptures. May your word penetrate our hearts and shape our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to go back a little bit and just talk about what was said before. All the way back to verses 26 and 27. And this is where John the Baptist witnesses to a couple of groups of Jews. <clears throat> Both days, one and two, we have John the Baptist proclaiming Christ to these Jews. But then day three, especially looking at verse 34 through 36, says, the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So here John the Baptist is introducing Jesus to a couple of his own disciples. He recognizes that his, his ministry is fading away, and he has fulfilled his purpose as the forerunner for which he came. And so now he tells his disciples, here is the Messiah, go after him instead. So hearing this, 
Hearing this, the disciples... Sorry, I got lost here a bit. The disciples follow Jesus and they end up going to His house or where He's staying. And they stay with Him there that day. <clears throat> so in verse 39, we're, we're told they stay him, with Him that day and this is no doubt where they get to know Him. They compare Him to what the prophets in the Old Testament wrote of Him. And Andrew happens to be one of those who was with John and heard him say that. But he then goes on a mission to find his brother Simon Peter. And he tells him the good news of the Messiah. So after spending a night and a day with the Lord, he is convinced this is the Messiah who we've been waiting for. Look at verse 41 and 42 for a minute. And this is still day three since the start of John's witness. And here the Scriptures tells us he, found, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. In verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So note specifically Andrew's statement. We have found the Messiah. So this is someone who has spent personal time with our Lord. He has been taught by the great teacher. He has no doubt compared him to the prophecies and the writings of the Old Testament prophets. I just love verse 42. It says, He brought him to Jesus. Such a beautiful Christian picture that Andrew displays here. This is one who has come to know the Lord. He has spent time with Him. He has learned from Him and talked with Him. He then leaves that environment, takes that knowledge straight to his brother. And he wastes no time bringing him to the Lord. So this is John's first record of someone being led to Christ. From here on we'll have a sort of a domino effect going on. One after the other is convinced of Christ. And in turn they share that conviction with a friend or a family member and bring them to Jesus also. And so Andrew leads Peter to, to the Lord and the text says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon Peter, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this verse demonstrates the intimate knowledge that the Lord has of all of us. He says, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas. He not only knows Peter's name, but he also tells him what he will be called in the future. So similar to verse 47 and 48 in our text today, when he gives us his revelation of Nathaniel. But this then brings us to verse 43 of our text. 
It says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So this is day four then, since the start of John's witness. So John the Baptist kind of fades out of the picture in day three. He is the one who got the ball rolling, so to speak. And so now he steps back, and he won't appear again until chapter 3 and verse 23, where he will come back on the scene. So notice it says Jesus decided to go to Galilee. This gives gives us a pretty good insight into the humanity of Christ or of Jesus. That he is a man, he eats and he drinks and sleeps like any other man, and he feels pain, joy or happiness. He is very human indeed. And so being man, he makes decisions like us, except perfect decisions, of course. So he goes to Galilee. Just talk a little bit about Galilee here. So in the last, the last clearly stated location was found in verse 28, where it says a place in Bethany across the Jordan. So this location being some place on the north side of the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River connects the Dead Sea with the Sea of Galilee. And the Dead Sea being in the south, and then the Sea of Galilee is up north on the map. But now Jesus has decided to go to Galilee And it is the upper, the upper region or northern region, I guess, of Israel, where we find Nazareth, Cana, and Capernaum. But notice, God is a God of purpose. And He goes to Galilee with a purpose. He goes specifically to find Philip, and He says to him, follow me. Follow me. It's a command found many times in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. Notice it is present tense, not a point in time action. This tense is very similar to the way that John distinguishes between true and false faith. The point in time faith that believes at a point in time only and then the next it is gone versus the ongoing faith. the continuous present faith that is true faith. In chapter 6 of John, we have a very classic example of false faith. In the beginning of the chapter, we have many followers that were said to believe in Him. And those same people towards the end of the chapter turn and seek to kill Him. That is false faith. But there was some in John 6 that still believed and they were the same disciples found here in chapter 1. They have a supernatural faith that lasts. And this faith is a gift from God and is granted to them. 
So true ongoing faith results in a person continuing to follow after him. That's what we see here in chapter 1. Some of the disciples get called to follow him, and they are still going after him in chapter 6, if you look in John. And Peter in John 6, when asked if he wants to leave him too, or if they want to leave him too, he responds, as he often does, he speaks for the, for the rest of them as well. But he asks, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In verse 69, And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So this, this is how true faith is manifest. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this confession of Peter is one that every true believer in Jesus, I believe, will make. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. So though these few disciples here are not at this point permanently called to be his apostles or disciples, for that matter, they are here called to a sort of preliminary exposure to Christ. They will later be called permanently to be disciples and then later on yet apostles. But look at Matthew 4 for a moment if you will. And this is the point where the Lord calls Peter and Andrew to discipleship as well as James and his brother John. Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then turn to Mark 1, if you will, starting at verse 16. This is Mark's account of Peter and Andrew getting the call to discipleship. And it reads like this, verse 16, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So both accounts, the Lord makes this famous, I will make you fishers of men statement. And then verse 18, notice here it says, Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. This is the only response to the Lord's call. When the Lord calls us, it's not soon or when we want, but it's immediately. So when we can re- we can assume, though, it's not specifically stated here in John 1, if you want to turn back, but that is what Philip does as well. He follows Jesus. So in verse 44, we're told then, 
Philip was from Bethsaida in the city of Andrew and Peter. So this is a tiny village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, or northeast. This is also where Peter and Andrew are from. These are fishermen, as we read earlier in Matthew. These were ordinary men. The Lord did not call many noble, not many powerful, in order that He would receive all the glory. But these were fishermen making their, le- their living on the sea and selling what fish they caught. So this would be the perfect location to live for them. And these ordinary men, the Lord will make fishers of men. As we see in Acts, these where they preach, and there was thousands that came to Christ as a result. So then moving on to verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and also the law, sorry, Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Here Philip finds Nathanael. Earlier we read where Andrew finds Peter and he brings him to the Lord. And now it's Philip's turn. So it's pretty amazing how each one, when they are convinced of who Jesus is, they have to share that with others. Notice the radical statement that he makes. We have found him, him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. So the Old Testament writings, this is how they would refer to the Old Testament. Moses, which are the first five books that he wrote, and then also the prophets. The prophets is beyond Moses, starting from Joshua and then through Malachi. And these prophets and men of God wrote about him. Clearly Philip has compared Jesus to the writings of the prophets. For he says this, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what a profound statement that is. This is, a, I believe, an, an allusion to Jesus' humanity or earthly life. For he mentions his, earth, his earthly town as well as his father, Joseph. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, the living Word made flesh. The one who, who reveals the Father perfectly. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Joseph. So Nazareth would have been a larger city in Jesus' day in Galilee. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But he was raised in Nazareth. And he is the son of Joseph. Of course, he is first and foremost the son of God. But his earthly father would have been Joseph. This is not biologically speaking, because he was virgin born. For the scriptures testify that Joseph did not know Mary 
And Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. So then we move to Nathaniel's response. So he asked this question in sort of scorn. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? There seems to be a deep disdain for Nazareth. If you look at John 7 and uh, verse 40 for a bit, John 7 verse 40, this is one of those many instances where there is disagreement and discussion among the Jews as to who Jesus is. This will be talking about Galilee here, which is a little more vague than Nazareth. But Nazareth is still a village in Galilee, and Galilee would have would be like a province or state or a little country in Israel, if we want to think in modern terms. But starting in verse 40 of uh, chapter 7, and we'll read a good portion here just to get some context. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Remember more towards the beginning of the first chapter of John. These were questions that were raised in regards to John the Baptist. Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? We ended up going through several passages of Jesus fulfilling prophecies of both prophet and Christ. I continue reading. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Here is the great confusion and ignorance of the Pharisees. Jesus did come from the lineage of David, and he was born in Bethlehem, as the Scripture says. Verse 43, So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, Have you also been deceived? Have many of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? It's a good question raised by Nicodemus. This is someone who knows the law very well. You may know that incident in John 3 where Nicodemus comes to Christ, to Jesus, and demonstrates his knowledge of the law. Verse 52 They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see 
that no prophet arises from Galilee. So this was obviously my main reason for going to this text. The scorn is very evident here as well in verse 52. As well as as John 1. Philip has a very similar attitude towards Nazareth. Can anything good good come out of Nazareth, he asks. Philip then responds with a simple, come and see. Come and look for yourself is the invitation here. It's a beautiful invitation that Nathaniel wastes no time but makes his way to Jesus And as they are approaching him, the scripture says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So much found in just one verse. Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him, and he meets him with, Amazing words. Wouldn't we all love to hear those words? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Behold is a word used by our Lord very often to draw attention to someone or something. And we know by the words that follow what he wants to draw attention to, and it's Nathaniel's character. An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is a true Israelite. A true worshiper of the true God. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. A true Israelite is a person with an honest character. With no deceit as Jesus puts it. These kinds of Israelites were hard to come by in Jesus' day. There seemed to be an, an element of amazement here. This is a true Israelite in a land of so much apostasy and deceit, so much dark and empty religion and religious hypocrisy. Religion of outside appearance, but no inward conformity. A lot of law-keeping without love or a changed heart. This is the word that Jesus is, the world, sorry, that Jesus is born into. And Nathaniel is one of those rare Israelites still found in Israel. So take a look at Philippians 3 verse 3 for a bit. Philippians 3, verse 3. It's Paul talking. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
This is the difference. The false Israelite places confidence in the flesh and the true Israelite does not. So those of us who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus are found among those who are the true Israel or the true circumcision, as Paul puts it elsewhere in Romans 2. It was never about the outward appearances, but of the heart. So if we look at Romans 2, a wonderful passage dealing with the heart. And he says in verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is from is not from man, but from God. So the one circumcised inwardly, changed in the heart, this is one in whom there is no deceit. No deception, no deceitfulness, no duplicity or double dealing or fraud. It is interesting to contrast what Jesus says about Nathanael and what he says about the Pharisees. Of Nathanael, he says, a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. To the Pharisees, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Very harsh words. He reserved those specifically for the religious hypocrites. But does that mean Nathaniel was perfect or sinless? No. Neither was Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or David. But many of these men were called righteous and upright. It means that he is a man of faith and he trusts in the one true God for his righteousness. This verse also tells us about the supernatural nature of Christ. He not only knows who man is, but he, he goes deeper than the surface. He goes inwardly to the heart. So much deeper than one's skin or outer appearance. He knows what is in man. He doesn't need any man to tell him what's in him. Only God can know what is in the hearts of man. And he knows each one thoroughly. I won't go into it too deep, but if we look at uh, verse 48 yet a little bit. And here we have Jesus supernaturally looking at Nathanael's personal and physical life. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? So this is in response to Jesus' statement that he made about his heart. Jesus answers him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus saw him physically and spiritually. 
In verse 47, he looked into his heart and he revealed it to him. In verse 48, Jesus reveals his omnipresence as well. An attribute only God possesses. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So in closing, I just want to call us to think about what that means. He saw Nathaniel. He also sees us. Physically, our outer appearance, and inwardly, our hearts. He looks at the heart, and I trust that we would all, he would be able to say the same about us as he did about Nathaniel. A true Israelite, a man or a woman of honest character. Here is a man or a woman who is honest, of good repute, who has no deceit found in him or her. May we seek to live godly in this present age. May we live by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let us pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank You for being with us. Thank You, Lord, for being in our midst by Your Holy Spirit, for moving our hearts to worship You, to adore You, and just to grow to know You and more and more. Thank you, Lord, for for the riches of your words, for opening our minds to understand and to learn from it. Lord, we would not be able to understand your word were it not for your Spirit's illuminating work in our hearts, Lord. For it weren't for spiritual life in us. For the things of the Spirit are spirit, and the things of the flesh are flesh, your word reveals. So we need your Spirit to shine his light on our hearts, to see the things of the Spirit, and also to apply this word, the principles of your word, to our lives. So I just ask, Lord, that we, as we go from here, that you would cause us to ponder the words we read and thought about today, and the fact that you see us and you know us, and that we are never alone. May this cause us to live in light of that, and live for your glory and yours alone. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.